Hello, everybody. everybody. <laughs> and we want to welcome you to a very special episode of Family Times. No, of, of the Lanky Guys. It is. You take the good, you take the bad, take them both. And there you have the Lanky Guys. The Lanky, the lanky Guys. guys. <laughs> no, that's the facts of life. Oh, shoot. Oh, yeah. well. Uh, well, it is um, the day before Christmas Eve. And we are putting out a very special episode just about Christmas Eve Mass, the Christmas readings. We're going to be talking about... Midnight Mass readings, because there's lots of readings for Christmas. Yeah, I didn't really get to the point there, did I? No, you didn't. <laughs> so this is just a little quick episode, fairly quick, um, talk about the Christmas episodes. A little shorter than normal, so kind of a special thing. We'll still have a regular show this week for this coming Sunday, but there, there you go. Word up. So there's going to be no shout outs. There's going to be nothing. We're just going to get straight to the ditty. Straight to the meat. So we are, again, we're looking at the readings from the Midnight Mass. And again, depending on when you go to Mass, what, what did you say? There's like five different options for reading depending on what readings, depending on what time you go. Like a 7.30 one, a vigil one, a midnight one, a morning one, a noontime one, right? Yeah, yeah. And well, this is the thing is that the the, the Mass for the vigil, so there's a vigil and then there's midnight. So the vigil's earlier than the Midnight Mass. Yep. And and it's the genealogy according to Matthew and it's the really? children's Mass. <laughs> So it's like <laughs> it's like Zerubbabel begot the hell and like that's pretty universally the children's mass at least in this country universally right? oh, so, that's, so that's why you just use the midnight mass. So all right, so our readings are coming from Isaiah chapter nine verse one through six, which is one you've all heard before probably. Yep, I got my eyes on you. Got my eyes. Uh, Psalm ninety six one through two two through three through eleven through twelve and thirteen, Titus chapter two eleven through fourteen, and then finally the Gospel of Luke. Chapter two, verse one through fourteen. Uh, I I looked at the Alleluia verse, and it's it's the Gospel of Juan. I mean John. And no, it's not. It's from Luke. The Alleluia. Oh, the verse. Alleluia before the Gospel. Yeah, yeah. And I just, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I was going to say the Gospel of Juan, but, but I didn't get to it. But you did. But then I did anyway. I, <laughs> so I snuck it in one way or the other. You got it in there. Yeah, dude. One way or another. Oh, oh come on now. Okay, Work there it me. is. I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first reading. Here, here's the thing about this. Oh, first hold on, reading. hold on. Yeah, did you say nine through one through six? I did, which is not entirely true. I know we we found we found a disturbance in the forest. A disturbance in the forest. So, um, what the reading you're going to be hearing at mass, and this is what it's always every single time I've been to midnight mass. It's well, right, or at least regularly. Yeah, the every. reading starts at verse two. Yeah, which is where it begins to say the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Right, which all we've many of us have heard that before. It's labeled as verse 1, and verse 1 actually has something else, which puts what uh, verse 2 and following says actually in some context. So what you're going to be hearing at Mass is, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A, dawn, a light has dawned. You have enlarged this nation. You know, da-da-da-da-da. And, and it goes on to say, Unto us a child is born, a son is given. All this great stuff that makes us think, Oh my gosh, Christmas. Light in darkness, children being born, all this stuff. God is going to be good to us and take care of us. But there's a setup. So we've talked a lot about Isaiah on this show, if you've listened to us before. Yes. And Isaiah is, you know, this kind of two-part story of good news and bad news. So this encourage, well, starting with the bad news, really, all yeah. this stuff about, you know, Israel has been terrible. You've sinned. You've broken the covenant. You've done all this stuff. So there's going to be punishment. You're going to lose your land. You're going to be hauled off in exile. But in between, you know, in between the lines constantly is this reassurance that no god is going to take care of you though he will redeem you he will come back he will set things right um in a wild way so this is one of the, the most profound ones but what you're not hearing in verse one so right before this part what it says is this 
Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, for Pete's sake. Please silence yourself <laughs> silence your as phones. we're going through the podcast. <laughs> Hold on. The, most of them are listening to their phones, uh, their podcasts on their phones. Oh, we should claim it's one of them. Oh, Is somebody you, ringing. You, get your phone. Turn your yeah, phone you off while you listen to the podcast. Come on. Jeez, John Lozier. Um, the land of Zebulun. <laughs> Naphtali. <laughs> uh, but the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Okay. So. This is this, and and the reason I point this out is that Luke actually quotes this. Yes. Um, no, Matthew does too. No, Matthew does. It's not Luke. It's Matthew. Well, I just want to point out that everywhere point it's published, uh, you know, Isaiah nine one, one through through six. We just read you verse one, and you've never heard it ever, ever. I mean, I have a except lit- maybe in Matthew lectionary reading guide. It's not in the lectionary. It's not. I mean, th- there is no translation that gives you. L- l- this Isaiah About 9 Zebulun 1 and Zebulun and Naphtali. But we're, we're going to give it to you. We're going to give you the true lectionary right today. Right here. You're getting it here. Yeah. It so, even says it on the USCCB website. It yeah. says it in, I mean, everywhere. So here's to 9 1, yo. Yeah, 9 1. What? It, we're we're going to have to Google this. <laughs> <afterwards>. <laughs> okay. So um, Jesus, the, the reason this is so fascinating, this is quoted actually in the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus begins his public ministry, what it actually says is the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, those who sat in darkness have seen a great light, you Galilee of the Gentiles, et cetera, et cetera. Here's what's going on, though, and what's happening in the time of Isaiah. So remember that there was this big civil war in Israel, and the ten northern tribes went up, founded their own kingdom. The two stayed down south. It's yeah. kind of like a broken record. We're kind of repeating this every week because it's so— um, Ten it's and just, two. Ten, ten and two. two. Ten and two. But it's so much of a part of their history and what you would have to be thinking if you're an Israelite reading the Bible. This is just what you know about the world. And so we have to always revisit this. But when the northern kingdom founded their own thing uh, and eventually Assyria came and wiped them out in mm-hmm. the year 722. Actually, Isaiah is writing while this is happening, while the northern kingdom is being obliterated. And if you think kind of the, of the geography, remember after the Exodus when they got to the promised land, when they allotted out who was going to get, which tribe was going to live where? Yeah. The two, two of the northernmost tribes were the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. So their land was up north. Is that, uh, isn't that, isn't that, is that the region of Tyre and Sidon? No, Tyre and Sidon is on the west right along the coast of the Mediterranean. Got it. So Zebulun and Naphtali is north of the Galilee. Oh, the, wow. The Sea of Galilee. Okay, big time. So we're, I mean, we're talking— So we're way north. Like, basically, they were Antarctic explorers. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Except it's 90 degrees and humid. Yeah. And, uh, other so than that— Other than that, we're, we're doing pretty trees. good. It's pretty, it's pretty yeah. north. So when Assyria came in to wipe them out, their, their route, what they actually— <laughs> I just spotted a half-eaten old donut on your Dude, patio. I was wondering who put that there on Sunday. and I Because my bet is it was probably either. you would There have were no been donuts a, on Sunday. There were no donuts? No, we Sunday? had to go somewhere else after Mass to get donuts. Dude, I bet you that that is from one of them big old squirrels because they got big, It could just dude. be some parishioner protesting not having donuts this Sunday. <laughs> Here's your donut fun. Sorry, I, we get dis- we're like squirrels. <laughs> Getting distracted. Okay, so when Assyria comes in, to destroy the northern kingdom, the Assyria was north of them. So their route would have been coming in from the northernmost part of the empire, which means, um, or the kingdom, which means that the first two tribes to fall when Assyria came and attacked them were whom? The Zebulun and Naphtali. They were the first ones to go down. And if you think about this, the whole exile took sort of a north to south route. So Assyria came in, they started chipping away at the northern empire, they knocked out Zebulun and Naphtali, the rest of the Galilee, and eventually they made their way south until they destroyed the capital city of Samaria, which was just north of, of um, 
you know, well, a little bit. It was the, the southernmost part of the northern kingdom, right? <laughs> so then that happens. Then later on, Babylon comes in to kind of finish the job in the south. They come the same route, come from the north, down through the Galilee, down south, and they eventually climax everything by destroying Jerusalem. That whole process is what's known as the exile. But the exile, when they're cast off from their land, it actually has uh, a geography to it. Which is why it's so interesting when Jesus shows up in the gospel to begin his ministry to fulfill this passage from Isaiah that the people who sat in darkness have now seen a great light. Where does he go as he begins his ministry? Up to Zebulun and Naphtali. Uh. And if you follow the gospel, he begins the message of the light that is now coming to the world in the place where the darkness first began. What does he do in the gospels? He slowly makes his way south through the Galilee, down through Samaria and the gospel of John, eventually climaxing in Jerusalem where the whole exile climaxed. So he travels the route of the exile. So that's why it's so significant that we kind of see that first verse. Of yeah. Because it's yeah. describing really what Jesus is going to do. That's pretty, absolutely. And yeah. then he's going to reduce the, or he's going to take away the oppression. He's going to, yeah. he's going to actually essentially take us to a new exodus. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where, you know, never mind. That's the, where the reading for next Saturday, next Sunday comes in. So we'll get to that in a second. Exodus. I, yeah, so it's cool. I feel like I have to sing that song like every single time we do the, the thing. And we do. Because it consistently like, sing it every I mean, single time. Well, because that's the whole, I mean, what, essentially what we're getting at at Christmas is we're, we're actually pointing to the entire yeah. work of Christ. It's like, Absolutely. There, there's always this big debate. Is it, is it, um, uh, which is a greater reality? Yeah. The incarnation or the resurrection? And Did I just almost rolled your R. But, yeah, but not quite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just said it funny. I say that funny in mass. I got in a habit, and I and because the resurrection is very special to me. Well, it, as it should be. As it should be. And but yeah, the, but this is the question. Is I mean, I think they're equivalent. I mean, how, how do you yeah. how do you tell the mysteries as one is greater? And well, I, actually, I still think the ascension is greater than all of those. But that's just my opinion. Some of the fathers of the church were convinced that all Jesus needed to do was become incarnate. All God had to do was become incarnate on the earth to save humanity. Then why did he do all the rest of it? So he goes the extra mile. He he brings it to completion. I mean, he does. It's the difference between, you know, in a relationship, you do you do the bare minimum. You know, I can have a wife and not cheat on her. Or then I could actually go and sacrifice myself and lay down my life and do all this stuff to show how much I love her. So mm. all God actually had to do to, to save humanity, so say some of the fathers, was just become humanity. He became us. But that wasn't enough. He then goes the extra mile and actually suffers with us, takes on everything we've taken on, yeah. goes to the cross freely, not like our fundamentalist friends think. You know, it, It's not a bloodthirsty God who just demands somebody dies for this. It's Jesus saying, no, I will take all of this on out of sheer love and does it. Anyway. That's the great light. That's the great light. And he's given all these titles of what he's going to be, Wonder Counselor and God Hero. Isn't God Hero the best? They're going to call him God Hero. Dude. Super God. And he is. Sorry, is that? <laughs> no. Is that bad? The RSV translates it Mighty God. Mighty God. The NAB, which is what they're going to hear. It says God Hero. <laughs> God Hero. I, well, I I really like saying uh, mighty, uh, holy God, mighty God, um, the from the um, oh, the uh, liturgy of John yeah. Chrysostom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Holy God, mighty God, holy immortal one, holy God, holy mighty one, holy immortal one. And it's repeated like twenty times. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever see? Do you know Father Michael O'Laughlin? I do know him. He's got a bumper sticker on his car that says "Honk thirty times if you're a Byzantine." <laughs> if you know the Eastern liturgy, you'll laugh. If you don't, you won't get it. 
<laughs> that totally tickles. Isn't that great? That tickles a very special part of my liturgical soul. <laughs> That's going to be the tagline on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. On to Psalm 96. Oh, man. Psalm 96 is freaking awesome. Woo-hoo. We've talked about Psalm 96 before on this podcast because it's come up. Yes. And so I was digging in my notes and I saw it and I thought, woo, what a perfect <laughs> psalm for midnight mass. So Psalm 96, right? So the, the response you actually get is from Luke. It says, today is born our Savior, Christ the Lord, which is really kind of cool because the church in her wisdom has inserted this responsorial from the gospel to answer the question that the psalm is sort of speaking to because the psalm is speaking yeah. about sing to the lord a new song sing to the lord all you land sing to the lord bless his name because salvation is coming all this stuff and then in her wisdom the church says oh by the way this is it this so is we're gonna insert song. this absolutely but check this out so psalm 96 um was originally when it was original the original context for this it was among the psalms that were chosen to be sung when the ark of the covenant was placed inside the tabernacle oh. that david had built I mean, are you kidding me? How perfect is that? So this is what the whole nation of Israel was actually singing as the ark, which held God's presence, was placed inside the tabernacle, which would bear it. And now we're reading it at the moment that the new tabernacle, Mary, is actually giving birth to the new ark of the covenant. So there's this kind of circular, this chiasm that's happening. Really cool. Yeah, that's like totally amazing. Yeah, so take that. So I just imagine the whole nation of Israel singing as their God is being put into this place of majesty. Well, I can't and imagine now, all of Israel singing. You can or cannot? I can. Well, you should. Because we are the new Israel. But check it out. What's the irony of that, though? If, if you're picturing, you know, the people, these people sitting around, God, their God is being placed in this huge, majestic structure with jewels and gold and everything else, where's the new Ark of the Covenant being placed on this night? In a manger, in a hay thing, where animals are eating out Grazing. Of, in yeah. a cave someplace. Um, the irony of of us singing that on that night it's really beautiful that was yeah the oh, <laughs> dude i can't even handle the poetry that you're, that, that's being spoken well that's the church man I, all i can i'm reduced to groanings oh, <laughs> oh that's a that's that's where the Holy Spirit he Inaudible takes my groanings, groanings and he he refines my groanings and does a little bit more groaning. It's like groaning <laughs> translations. Does a little bit more groaning. <laughs> and then, then he go, and, and then he does some translation to the Father, who he responds in utterable groanings. Gloatings. <laughs> groanings. <laughs> See, this is the, this is what happens when I'm reduced to silence before the face of beauty. It's all right. So all right. Then we got Titus. Titus. Titus Oh, so Titus um, first and second Timothy and Titus are always kind of lumped together they're Mm -hmm. called the pastoral epistles because the letters of Timothy and the letters of Titus were all specifically letters that Paul wrote to pastors of the early church so he was writing Timothy to Timothy who was becoming a new bishop in this place called Ephesus he was writing to Titus who was now going to become the overseer of the bishop of the church in Crete Um, so this is advice that he's kind of giving these bishops and it's kind of beautiful as you know as we're entering into Christmas as we're thinking about what's happening, and then St. Paul is giving advice to, okay, so how should a bishop, how should a priest deal with this? Yeah. And it's, it's so short, but he says, Beloved, the grace of God has appeared. Here it is. It appeared in an ironic place, in a manger, in a stable. For real. For real, it's appeared, saving all and training us to reject godless ways and worldly desires to live temperately and justly, devoutly in this age, 
as we await a blessed hope, the appearance and glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to deliver us from lawlessness and cleanse for himself a people of his own, um, eager to do what is good. So he's saying, you know, if you actually believe essentially what these first two readings have laid out for you, how, how ought I act? You should act like this. This is how you ought. This is what your life should look like if this stuff is in fact true. And this is what you should teach then to your congregation. This is what you should show your flock because this is real. So there you go. Thank you. I will do my there very best it. to do that. <laughs> well, Powell, very good. Titus, Scott. That was weird. Yeah, I, well, I, I got your last name before I could remember your first name. I'm Scott. Hi, We've Scott. We've known each other for a number of years. What's your middle name, Scott? Christopher. Um, Scott and Christopher Sebastian Powell. I think you should add Titus in there. But I've got Sebastian. I've got Seabass, man. Dude, I add all my names that yeah, I want to name. You get a lot. Of you could add them too. I will. If what, anybody- Titus, I don't want to be Titus, really. Huh. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry to all you Tituses out there. Yeah, especially Father Titus. No, I like the name Titus. I just, it, I don't, it doesn't click with me. Click. It doesn't click. When it does, you will announce it to me. I will. Okay. You'll know. Okay, thank you. All right, let us gospel it up. Do it. Luke. Luke. It is good to be with Luke. So when I when I <laughs> do you know how much I love the Gospel of Luke? I mean, I just really uh, love as much it. as the Gospel of Mark. Oh, Isn't Mark your favorite? Why, yeah, dude. Why you got? Well, recently I, I shouldn't have brought that up. <laughs> recently, I've I've just been I've been kind of more I've been more in love with Luke recently, just because he does some really good stuff. He does. He's cool. Namely, the physician. Um, he's working on. He's he's doing doctor work on your heart. Yeah, the, now the um, this enrollment, Quirinius. This, Can I say something about this really, really quickly? And then I want you to say that, but just context of Luke. Yes, sir. Luke is unique. You know why Luke is unique in the New Testament? Here's um, your Bible trivia. Uh, he has more? No. Okay. He's the only one of something. Um, he's the only Greek? Uh, well, yeah. He's the only Gentile. He's the only non-Jew. Check it out. That squirrel's taking the donut. <laughs> no way that's awesome there he goes he just ran out. oh yeah dude that's a big squirrel too for a big donut that's sorry a, that's, everybody that's a big squirrel with the big, dude that's awesome <laughs> you guys are getting the play-by-play oh the yep. donut life yeah dude yeah so he's the only gentile he's the only non-jew to write a new testament book which is actually a pretty big deal it's a and, huge deal and what i love about it the way he begins his gospel is he is as, as far as the birth story of Jesus goes, more than the other gospel writers, he is, partially because of his background, he is placing you in the Gentile story. So he's giving you the broad context, right? You know, in the days of Caesar Augustus, this decree went out, right? Um, with with uh, Quirinius, the governor of Syria and all these things. So he's kind of being the Gentile um, convert. He's putting you in the Gentile context as well. So he's sort of embodying what he's doing. He is a Greek Gentile who has now come into the fullness of the faith, and he's starting from the Greek world to show what the fullness of faith is doing in the world, which is kind of cool because what, he, what Luke is doing in his gospel is showing that this isn't just the good news for the people of Israel. Yes. This is the good news for everybody, embodied in Luke himself. Yes. Which is cool. Okay, now go on to whatever so basically, there's a huge amount of debate and scholarly work trying to understand the enrollment of Quirinius. Right, which we're, we're which I don't want to get into. No, thank you. But that, um, <laughs> but but that what um I, I think is really uh, important is that there are celestial events that yeah. have been leading up to this. Yeah, 
and that are readable to this day. Yeah. Um, and that um, that uh, as we're looking, all these historical realities, I mean, uh, we look at the evidence and it's going to put uh, Jesus somewhere between 2 and 3 BC, ultimately right. being born. Which, if you coordinate and you look at... So some, he was born around his second birthday. Jesus? Yeah. BC. Oh, BC, sorry. B, isn't it BC? That was so funny in my head. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just... Uh, I no, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's yeah, move yeah, on. Yeah. Let's okay. keep going. You're right, you're right. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. That's what I, I get like, when I try to be funny. I, yeah, you get you confuse your, I confuse your pastor. everything. Gosh. Um, don, don, don. Um, I don't... What's that from? Everything. Everything. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, Just keep going. Okay. Plan <clears throat> through. So, what ends up happening, though, is that uh, I think Luke is really trying to actually orient us to say, this is an authentic historical experience. And to root this into the reality that we're, we're saying that is... Um, at the same way that Isaiah is helping us to understand that there is a geography, right. that there is a space involved, we're actually looking and 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 Luke is trying to say this is temporal, this yes. is this is actually the sanctification of both space and time, yes. and then of course then we go and and we see that that space and time is being represented as well because yeah. we have Bethlehem, which yeah. is one of the best things in the world if you've never heard it. If, uh, Bethlehem means. Bread town, house of bread, house of bread. Oh, see, you're better than me. Well, bet so, means house. Oh, my um, lachem, lachem. My no, um, yeah, sorry. My uh, my my uh, Hebrew teacher, Greek teacher, always said that. Uh, sorry, Greek and Latin teacher always said I paint with a wide brush. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm like right. bread town, right. house of bread. That's, it all works. It's, it's out. all sort of generic. But then you have Jesus, who yeah. who is the true bread of the world. Who goes into the manger, which is a manger is a place where animals, animals eat. feed. Yeah, yeah. And so we this this is just absolutely phenomenal that this is a real event, and yeah. and it points towards the Eucharist. Yes, which is yes. a huge work. Luke is 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 so radically pointed towards the Eucharist. Well, even more than that. Well, not more than that, but in addition to that, Luke's whole the whole beginning of the gospel points to the end of the gospel. Yes, because his being laid in the manger is pointing ahead to him being food for us. But even the way he describes it, where is it? Um, yeah, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Being wrapped in cloths and laid somewhere is the exact same language that's going to be used when he's buried. So the whole beginning of the gospel is ultimately ultimately pointing to what he's going to do in the end. It's the best. So Luke is smart. Smarty. Luke, he, he grasps the whole thing. It's so, I'm so fascinated by this story because oh, we just take it for granted, right? Because we know the story. Oh, he went to Bethlehem. There's no room for him in the, in the Holiday Inn, right? You know, we, we just kind of <laughs> go, okay, every, everything was booked. But think about this. He's going to his home. Joseph is going to his hometown of Bethlehem because he's, you know, if, if we were to believe this enrollment, which I think is legitimate, he's going there because that's his ancestral home. That's his family home. Imagine going back to your family home. It's not just that there's no room for them in the La Quinta, but it's that his family, none of his family is willing to put him and his very, very pregnant wife up on a couch or in a corner of their floor. This is where all of his family members live, presumably. Well, that's what I'm No wondering. one will take him in. Are you sure that it's not like a like a, there's like familial home, but then wouldn't it's in? I don't isn't know. It like a symbolic home that he's a. That's he's what. The descendant that's what's of unclear. David? Yeah, that that's what's unclear to me. But I think it was because I mean Joseph's a pretty good guy. So is Mary. I mean, how would you not want them to stay at your house? You'd have to be pretty janky. Yeah, 
And I did just use the word janky. Janky, use it. Yeah, we don't know. It's one of the mysteries behind this, and I, I don't know. But one way or the other, is, yeah, I don't know. We don't know. Well, I, I, I think do. it would be pretty. Well, it, let's let's suspect for a second that that it's the family home. Yeah. That the family they don't live there, and they're like, nope, sorry, you go stay at the inn. We don't have room. Well, it doesn't actually say inn, by the way, in the Greek. Oh, what and does this is it sort say? Of fast. It says katalema. It does say Catalina. So, so the, the difference here. So, remember the story of the Good Samaritan? It's in John, right? Yeah. So, the Good Samaritan, remember the whole story? There's this guy laying on the side of the road, and the guy, they eventually, the Samaritan eventually takes him and puts him in a. In. In. That's not the word that's used here. Hospital? This is some. <laughs> no, Carta- Cartagena? Catalema, which oh. simply means place. It's really generic, which could be, it could be a cave. It could be, you know, like an outcropping of rocks. It do, It's not, it doesn't seem to be like. An inn in the traditional sense. It's just a place. And if this if this is, you know, perhaps an ancestral home, oftentimes people would have, you know, a little cave in the backyard or a shed or something to hold the animals yeah. below the house or out in the backyard or something. So it actually, well, yeah, I, we don't know exactly what's going on here, but it's... Um, Tr- tradition holds it as an inn. Yeah. Do it, does it? I mean... Strictly? I mean, not, not, not strictly, but I mean, there's something popular to be. It's it's kind of well, like Constantine built a basilica over a series of caves there, and that's where the basilica of the uh, nativity is. It's over a cave. You've been there, haven't oh, you? Oh yeah, yeah, I've been over the. Yeah, I've been, I've been there. Yeah, absolutely. I've been over the cave. I've been over the cave. <laughs> I know the cave. The, the place burnt pretty heavily too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty. It's pretty intense to be there. I forgot that I was there. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, you're welcome. I forget that I anyway. It, that so space. I don't know. We don't know exactly what's going on, but either way, I mean, there's no way around the humility of this. Especially, I mean, for Pete's sake, if Joseph now he was probably under wraps, but he probably knew he was descendant to the true throne of Israel. Yes. So he knows he's actually royal. The royalty, the royal family of this kingdom, is sitting in a cave, someplace, or in a shed in the backyard of something, having the new king be born. That that's just, and Joseph knows that. He knows who he is. He knows what the yes. angel has told him. Mary knows it too. Yeah. And for the fact for them to, I mean, I would just be so, I would just be such a jerk about. It. Do you know who I've got in my tummy? I mean, do you, you yeah. know what I mean? Do yeah, you yeah. know who I am? They know who they are. They know perfectly well who they are, and they're perfectly content, presumably, to take what God has doled out for them. And then it gets even weirder because they're shepherds. Then the shepherds out in the field. Everybody hates the shepherds. The shepherds were not. They were the most, low on the totem They were pretty pole. low on the totem pole. But what actually happens to them, it says, what What are they surrounded by? What does it say? Uh, they were surrounded by... The glory of the Lord, it says, right? Sorry, I answered yes. my own question. The glory of the Lord shone around him. That's actually temple terminology. So that term is used in the Old Testament to surround, to to um, to um talk about the glory cloud that was in the temple. Whoa! So all the language that's being used here is temple language, new presence of God dwelling among us language. And the angels see, the, or the uh, the shepherds see this, and they're like, holy cow, something yeah. big is going on. Here. Now, these, and these shepherds would be actually specifically, they'd be special shepherds because Bethlehem, those were the fields where they... Um, uh, raised the lambs that would be sacrificed in the temple, so they, oh, really? they had to be unblemished lambs. Oh, I didn't. I say I didn't know that. Oh yeah, so they were they were actually used to um, uh, shepherding the lambs in a very very special and particular way oh, because they could have no damage to them. They couldn't have broken right. legs. They had to have good fur and the whole thing. And so, so and that's really wild. Like yeah. 
that's cool that the temple language yeah. was associated with them in, in such a lowly position, which just shows automatically how wh- what the Lord is going to be doing. He's going to lift exactly. up the lowly and yeah. and raise them. He's already up doing it. He's, it's these inversions. Yes, that that Luke is lo- loves the inversion. It's the whole Magnificat prayer. The Absolutely. mighty is cast down, the lift, lowly is lifted up, the hungry are sent away. So, the hungry are fed. <laughs> hungry are sent away. I'll strike that, reverse it, yeah. Well, dude, I'm going to go wander the earth and be a shepherd. All right, keep your sheep unblemished. Okay. Well, guys, thank you for listening to this brief little version of the version? Episode. Episode. Of the Lanky Guys, the Word on the Hill, Christmas special. Christmas special. Um, guard your lambs. <laughs> guard your guard lambs. the lambs of your heart. Guard the lambs of your heart and may uh, the Shekinah, uh, Shekinah, isn't the Shekinah, isn't that the glory cloud? Shekinah, yeah. Shekinah cloud. Yeah, the glory cloud, man. Yeah, the glory cloud. May it shine around you and yours as you attend the vigils. Absolutely. And go to mass and open presents and shepherd your dogs and cats. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just talking. God bless you all. Thanks for listening, everybody. Be uh, listen to our regular scheduled show at the end of the week as well. And we will. Well, we're always here. But yep. we hope you have a Merry Christmas. And uh, we never know how to wrap this thing. Happy, Merry Christmas. We love you. Okay, happy goodbye. New Year. Pray for us. Okay. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.